G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. In the late 18th century, William Wilberforce was converted. Almost single-handedly, he broke the shackles of slavery. People there were just totally different. We are looking at the footprint of God over the last 2,000 years. Since the Roman legion destroyed Jerusalem in the year 70 A.D., the Jewish people have a nation of their own. And he said, well, no, Randy, we're not all just faking it. There is a living hope, and his name is Jesus. And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Glenn Tucker, part of the team at New Hope Church in Brisbane. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing very well, thanks, Matt. Mate, I've always been fascinated uh, whenever I've heard you share your testimony and I thought we've got to get you on the radio. So let's find out a bit of your story. Where were you born and raised? I was born in uh, Dunedin, New Zealand in 1951, that's last century. <laughs> Fantastic, mate. And did you have a religious upbringing at all? Uh, not really. My parents uh, would send us to Sunday school. Uh, they didn't go themselves occasionally, maybe once a year or something they might pop along. But So, yeah, we, we were sent to a Presbyterian church, but not really a religious uh, thing as such. It was just, I think they just felt that was the thing to do for us. Okay, then. So tell us a bit about uh, your upbringing. Did you have a good family life? My family was uh, was quite poor. Um, Dad worked. He worked on the wharf. Um, they were uh, they used to fight and argue a lot, mm-hmm. my parents. Uh, so there was a lot of, a lot of um, arguing used to go along, and it made me feel quite insecure. Mm, okay. And tell us about your journey of faith. Was there a, a conversion experience uh, later in life or early in life? How did it happen? It happened early in life because uh, we had an after-school program that uh, happened uh, back in 1959 with the open-air campaigners. Some people might might know them as being the OAC. And uh, they used to uh, give us some um, some programs there and, you know, tell us Bible stories and things. And uh, I uh, gave my life to Jesus at one of these meetings back in 1959. Mm, wow. And can you remember the message? I can't remember the message, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, mate. And tell us a bit about uh, your life uh, in your teenage years. Like, what, what did you do after school? What was your early career? Right. I left school age 15 on the instructions of my careers advisor of school because she said I was, um, I was doing no good. She said, you know, basically she told me I was useless <laughs> and uh, I might as well leave. But she actually got me a good job in an insurance company, of all things. So uh, I went out and uh, got that job as, a, as a, a junior clerk. And I stayed there for three years. And uh, uh, due to lack of wisdom, I decided I wanted to leave that job and go and work for a, uh, for a, um, a tannery. They're getting twice the amount of money. It was only a labouring job, but I figured uh, I'd get more money and I could uh, buy a better motorbike. And tell us a bit about your faith in this time. Are you attending church regularly? I used to sometimes go to Bible class because uh, I used to know that there was a lot of uh, young women there because they used to have <laughs> dances and things at some of these, uh, these um, churches. 
And so I used to go up there, and basically I was only there to see if I could uh, uh, score some of the young ladies there. So, uh, but uh, I, I must admit, though, I, I did believe, and uh, I, I wouldn't mock them, uh, but I, I was there for, probably for the wrong intentions. Mm, okay. And tell us about the next steps in your career after that season. A little bit into my teenage years, uh, and, and this sadly links into the same thing. It, um, I got involved in alcohol, and uh, that was actually very tragically through the, through the uh, Bible class I was going to at the time, and uh, that gave me a taste for alcohol. And uh, I got myself a job as a truck driver for the local brewery, and uh, we used to do beer deliveries around the pubs, and of course that got me introduced to alcohol. And uh, I was probably an alcoholic uh, um, age 18. And uh, so that was, that was very sad. But um, so that, that's where my, uh, my life starts to go, uh, or the wheels started to fall off the wagon then. And I know that uh, this led to many other struggles you had in life. What, what were the, uh, the other struggles that you faced after this season? Okay, I um, was, a, was actually a bikey uh, with, a, with a local bike gang called the Coffin Cheaters. I was a patch member there. And um, it was a, a pretty immoral thing, as you might imagine. Lots of um, lots of women and uh, things like that. Lots of um, yeah, lot, lots of struggled immorality. Uh, I was also uh, hooked on porn from a young age, and uh, that that just became, uh, I guess, uh, amplified. And um, I headed off over to Australia, or came over here to Australia uh, in 1973, and uh, worked in the mines. Worked at Mount Isa in the uh, lead smelter centre plant for a couple of years. Used to uh, get heavily involved in uh, um, getting drunk on my days off because sometimes we'd have uh, three and a half days off between shifts. And uh, that led me to all sorts of immorality with some of the uh, indigenous ladies. So that was a a chapter in my life I'm not proud of. But... um, it also gave me quite a, a fondness for uh, the Aboriginal people in general, which has uh, continued through my life. So you really were spiralling out of control uh, and hitting rock bottom. Uh, t- tell us uh, how you, you came to faith after this season. Okay, well, I'd uh, gone back and forth to New Zealand a few times, uh, you know, trying to start again. But um, anyway, I managed to get myself a a, a taxi uh, business. Uh, I was a shareholder driver for uh, Dunedin Taxis back in New Zealand. And um, one day, uh, an Irish communist merchant seaman, who I had known for a year or two uh, through through the drinking, uh, he had become a Christian, somebody told me. And I was carting him back from the airport back to the city and... uh, I started to ask him about this, this, him becoming a Christian. And uh, it was actually very good because he'd get converted through the Barry Smith ministry. And uh, he shared a little bit of his faith, but uh, he, he only gave me a little bit. So I was actually fishing. I was actually I was going for the bait. And uh, he reeled me in and he said to me, would you like to come to um, uh, come up and meet my pastor at, uh, at their uh, house group? And so uh, I... Um, I was quite curious then, and uh, the young woman I'd been involved with then, uh, I asked her if she'd like to come with me too. So on a snowy uh, night in 1986, uh, the both of us gave our lives to Jesus uh, at this um, this house group. 
And how did your life change after that? Absolutely radical, total radical. I had always known that uh, I was one to, uh, going to one day become a, a Christian because people would say to me, what would you do if you knew you were dying of cancer? And uh, I said, well, first of all, I'd go out and get uh, rotten drunk, and then I'd become a Christian. So it was always kind of in the back of my mind that I was going to one day be a Christian. So from then on, uh, in 1986, we uh, got involved in the uh, a local uh, Elam church, which was a Pentecostal church, totally different than what I'd uh, been raised as, uh, as a Presbyterian. But uh, we went in hook, line, and sinker. We wanted everything they had to offer. We wanted the tongues. We wanted the, um, uh, we wanted the baptism. We just wanted everything. Mm. And uh, I went to Bible school there. And uh, I loved it. I mean, we, we haven't looked back since. We've always been involved in, uh, in some form of ministry or other over the years. And uh, there was no looking back for us. And you mentioned uh, the lady in your life. Uh, she's now your wife, Maureen. Tell us how you two met. Right. That was actually um, quite dramatic. Um, because I was a drunkard, uh, I was in the pub one night uh, quite drunk, and my wife uh, was married. Uh, to another person, and they were Mormons. And uh, she had been left by her husband for about the seventh time. He kept abandoning her around the world because they started off in England, then to Australia, to New Zealand, back to England. And I happened to meet her as she was um, had been asked by a friend to go out and uh, have a few drinks. And, of course, Mormons don't drink. And she just, uh, I guess she thought, oh, dear, well, my husband's gone. I've got nothing to lose. So she came out and she met me. Very, very uh, drunken, lecherous person. But uh, there must have been something in me she saw that uh, was... Um, it attracted her. She was living in an old dump of a house, and I had a, a nice house I bought from my parents because I had quite a bit of money when I worked in the mines. And I asked her if she'd like to come down and stay in the uh, granny cottage in my house and uh, have the kids stay in the house. And uh, you know, because she was living in such a shocking place, so they moved in, and uh, one thing led to another. We started to uh, cohabitate uh, in, a, in a de facto relationship, and um, that became uh, not, the, not the best because I was still in taxis. I was very immoral at that stage. Uh, this was before I became a Christian. And uh, anyway, we split up, and it was after that, or in between that time, that I, uh, I got her to uh, come and uh, give her life to Jesus with me and uh, courted for... A couple of years, or we were only actually friends. Uh, I, I was just quite happy to have it as a friend relationship because the idea of marriage to me was absolutely foreign and it used to offend me if people asked me when I was going to get married. And uh, as that was another story of how we, um, how we ended up by getting married. Well, I was, uh, had never actually been able to make a commitment to uh, any particular person but one day the pastor asked me into his office and he sat and talked to me for a while on the council session he said to me do you mind if i pray for you glenn and i said yeah no worries so he laid hands on me in the name of jesus broke the curse of the fear of commitment to marriage over my life mm. and um it, it didn't seem to you know mean much to me at the time but the next morning i woke up and i just thought i'm gonna marry that girl huh. wow and one thing led to another and six months later we were married there you go. Now, you, you mentioned before that your wife, Maureen, had been a Mormon for many years. That's correct. That would have been a big change uh, to uh, be born again and, and part of a, of a Christian church. Tell us a bit about uh, some of the, uh, the things she had to go through to, to change her belief system. 
Right. Well, the the, the big thing for her was whenever the word, uh, the the message on the blood of Jesus was mentioned, it used to really it, it just stirred her up. It antagonised her, and uh, it, I was out of my depth. I didn't know how to handle this at all. Um, and so on the, the way to our water baptism, uh, she just about bailed on the whole idea of this. And, uh, and I said, come on, you've got to come. And she said, damn you, and slapped me across the face and stormed off. But she ended up by coming on her own steam in, <laughs> in her car and uh, made a big disruption to the, uh, to the church service at the time. Uh, so she was, she was carrying a lot of passengers uh, and... Uh, so needed quite a quite a, a lot of deliverance of demons uh, to get her to really accept the Christian faith. It's fascinating to uh, to hear that it was the blood of Jesus and, and a baptism that that really uh, stirred her up, uh, because you know the devil doesn't like uh, when when people come to Christ and get baptized. Um, great to hear. Uh, was there a big deliverance session, or did it happen when she get baptized? How did she get set free? It, it came in two parts, really. The, the day of the water baptism, uh, she came up out of the water and, 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 and felt much better. But she said it was about a week later when she was in the pastor's office and she was still having a few issues. And, uh, and he looked at her and he, and, he, and he raised the thing about the blood of Jesus again. And she says, stop talking about that. And uh, so he deliberately did it again, and she started to manifest, and she said, stop that. She said, oh, I'll go for you. So he did it and then laid hands on her and cast the, uh, the spirit of uh, Moroni, which is the Mormon spirit, cast it out of her. And she said it was, it was an amazing thing because it felt like a, a great big knotted up rope being pulled up out of her stomach and, and sticking in her throat before it finally came out, left her. Mm. Well, it's a wonderful story of transformation for both of you. And uh, I know you've got a real heart for God's Word. I know that you you love to uh, read God's Word and, and regularly share God's Word. Tell us a bit about your daily devotional time. What do you do to uh, you know seek the Lord every day? Right. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I, I, I hit the floor. Um, as soon as the alarm goes off, I've, I've learned, <laughs> because of the, the Keith Green song, Asleep in the Light, I think it said... Um, um, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but you, you can't even get out of bed. So I made a vow <clears throat> all those 32 years ago that I would not just lie in bed, I would just hit the deck and I'd get straight up, I'd start praising God, I'd get the Word out, and I still do this, and uh, start reading the Word and um, studying the Word and mull it over, and then I'd start to pray. I've done that for the last 32 years. It's just... Mm been part of my whole life uh, as a Christian. Wonderful, mate. Now, before we go, there might be people listening that have never given their life to Christ and they've never heard the gospel and they've heard your story of how your life was transformed and your wife. Uh, tell us, for those listening, what is the gospel and how do we respond to it? Well, the gospel is hearing the word of God, being convicted of it and actually confessing that you're a sinner, knowing that you're a sinner confessing you're a sinner, being will, willing to repent, that's, uh, uh, turn 180 degrees, turn totally around, and then call upon the name of the Lord, confessing the name of the Lord Jesus and calling on the name of the Lord and being willing to be led by the Holy Spirit. Mm. That's so good. And I know that you're so passionate about sharing the gospel wherever you go, uh, as a bus driver, as a, you know, uh, as a dad, you know, all the things that you do. I know that you're so passionate about sharing the good news wherever you go. Uh, Glenn, it's been wonderful to hear your story today. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Matt. 
Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we appreciate all of your support. The vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus all over the world. If you've got a suggestion of someone we can interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials, and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's Word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians, and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.